Hello and welcome to The Perfect Gentleman. This is episode 34 of The Perfect Gentleman podcast. I am Zach Falconer Barfield, 1PG, the founder of The Perfect Gentleman. And alongside me is the scarily handsome, uh, creepily dapper, and all-around true gentleman, Mr. James Marwood. Thank you very much, Zach. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm getting in the Halloween spooky spirit mood. Excellent. I do enjoy this time of year. Well, we'll talk more about Halloween later in the podcast, but I do like Halloween. I don't know why. It's fun. On this week's podcast, we have our lovely perfect lady, Leah Morgan, talking a little bit about scary dates. Excellent. You and I have got some things to review for our cultural reviews. Indeed. And then we're going to gossip and gamble about Halloween itself. I think that'd be fun. So without further ado, let's toddle on over to Toronto and listen to our lovely perfect lady, Leah Morgan. Tell us about some scary dates. What kind of date is truly frightening? A date with bad manners? A man who thinks of only himself and not the women or other people he's with? A date who harasses women that he's taken out? And ultimately, a man who is not self-aware. I'm not sure that I can stress this last point enough. To be self-aware is to understand how one comes off, how one looks, how one behaves, and the sensitivity to know how we make other people feel. So many don't have this quality and that is a bit terrifying. The dates that I consider scary have been with men who've not been self-aware at all. And a lot of the time, it's just plain old embarrassing, not to mention uncomfortable. I'm talking about I'm talking about men who are disgusting to eat with. Men who overgroom yet show up to first dates wearing sports t-shirts, and men who are intolerant and judgmental, and men who sexually harass women. This is uh, particularly terrifying. Uh, as you can imagine, it isn't pleasant to have to run away screaming from a date, but unfortunately, in my whole life, I've done it several times. I don't really want to count how many times, but I've done it. Maybe you have too. Uh, I suppose this is a reflection of our society's lack of gentle men. And I say this with a tear in my eye. It is the scary season now. It is the season of the bonfire. And only true gentlemen shall pass through the flames of the gentleman's bonfire, purified, polite, and preferred. Fire is the true test, a purifying rite of passage. It is the bonfire of the gentleman that men must walk through to prove themselves worthy of the title. Are you? Our wonderful partners, the Cravat Club, provide luxury silk cravats, scarves, and pocket squares. Designed and handcrafted in England. So compliment your style with a touch of sartorial elegance with these 100% silk cravats, scarves and pocket squares, which are an ideal addition to evening or day wear for a sharp and refined look for the distinguished gentleman. Head on over to their website www.cravat-club.com to grab yours now. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Leah. I've been quite lucky. I've not had to date for quite some time. 
but I have heard some horror stories of how scary some of them can be, so I think that should be handy. Yes, tips to avoid, and gentlemen should learn from Leah's tales of um, horror <laughs> on the dating scene. Yes, indeed. Let you not be a lesson for other young ladies out there, gentlemen of the world. Yes. So what have you got on your review plate this month? I'm talking about a book written by Michael Lopp, who's a technology writer, blogger, quite well known in Silicon Valley type circles, called Managing Humans. Primarily written about technology, but I think has a lot to offer anybody who really has to get other people to do work on their behalf about general management. So I'm talking a little bit about that. Well, tell us more. There's a long-standing blog, Rands in Repose, that Michael's written probably for more than 10 years, I would think, more than 400 posts. Wow. The focus of the blog is very much around technology, geekery, nerdery, tech, software engineering, leadership, things like that. What Michael's done over the years is collect these articles into this book, Managing Humans. Refined it a few times. I think it's on its third edition now. I really like it. I don't work in those fields. I don't do a lot of work with software engineers, but I do a lot of work with managers. And what I really enjoy about this is the way that Lop is intelligent and insightful and looks at himself as much as others, looks at it just with this goal of getting the best out of people and the best way to get things done. And he does that through really interesting personal human stories. It's not a typical management book. It doesn't have theories or models or diagrams and things like that. And it's not something you can take and apply in problem A, use response C. It's very much around understanding Michael's approach to the people he works with and understanding the challenges he has and the way he applies his intelligence and his insight to that, I think is really useful and really interesting. Anybody who's involved in getting other people to do things, either as a formally as a manager or in a club or a group, would probably get quite a bit out of this. Sounds really interesting. It's not one I've come across, so I shall have to pick it up and have a read. You can start off with his blog, uh, com, which is really interesting, and he has some great articles. There's one called The Nerd Handbook, which is an article explaining nerds to the significant others of nerds, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Also, one of the things he talks about an awful lot is about how bored people quit and how for a lot of people, especially who are really motivated in their work, boredom is the biggest problem. And loads of other things. He also talks about photography, tools, writing. He worked at Apple for a time and he writes about that a bit. Really interesting blog. Give the blog a try. If you enjoy it, get the book. It's been quite thoughtfully edited down from the blog and it's a good, fun read. Not a long read and it's not a dry management book. It's interesting. I should probably pick up the book. I shall add it to my Amazon shipment list. Excellent. Good stuff. I've had a couple of theatre trips in the last few weeks, last month. Oh, excellent. And I had the uh, pleasure of going to the theatre to see The Libertine at the Theatre Royal Haymarket in London. Now, the Libertine, I have to say, he's not a gentleman. Let's put it that way. In the perfect gentleman space, he was a gentleman of the period, but not a perfect gentleman. The Libertine is about the second Earl of Rochester, written by a great playwright and scriptwriter, a guy called Stephen Jeffries. It was first written in 1994. The play was famously put on and played by John Malkovich in Chicago in 1996. Then it was made into a movie in 2004 with the indomitable Johnny Depp. But this version, the stage version, is with Dominic Cooper. Dominic Cooper, you may have seen in several of the Marvel movies and is a very well-talented TV and movie actor. And The Libertine is about the second Earl of Rochester, as I said, was John Wilmot. He was a naughty man. He was, yes. He was a very naughty man. He was certainly a hedonist, a reprobate, a satirist, a poet, and actually, indeed, quite a great thinker. 
He was very talented for his day, his age. He was very thoughtful. He was fun, uh, masculine. And yet he had this self-destructive demon. He wanted to experience life and challenge life and challenge the social norms of the world around him. He was a favourite of King Charles II. This is the period of restoration. It's an interesting play because it's a modern play, but it is written in the style of a restoration comedy. There are certain forms in restoration comedy. They break the fourth wall. In other words, they talk to the audience frequently. They are witty. It's very verbal. It's very verbose. The language is very coarse. It's very rude, but it is also very clever, quite erudite. So it's a modern restoration comedy, in effect. So it does all those things. But it's equally telling because it's about his dealings with society and the world at large. And there's some very rude moments in it, which uh, on the Perfect Gentleman podcast we won't talk about. Um, you can see the movie and read the book and, or read the play and understand it. But it is very interesting. And one of the interesting things I think I found about it is how relevant it was to today's world he was trying to change certain things so he promoted an actress called elizabeth barry who was played amazingly by ophelia loverbond who is quite a well-known tv actress here in the uk he supported her in her changing acting because acting at the time was very forced it was kind of very described whereas she was making it very natural and he helped her do that but it was an interesting thing about someone who is incredibly talented who's incredibly well connected and talented souls who are brought down by their own demons despite the best efforts of everyone around them then we can list a number of famous talented people of today's world who have had self-destructive paths and it was just very enlightening to see a play about this gentleman who really could have been one of the greatest poets or playwrights of his age and yet chose to not effectively read a little bit about him and there was the johnny depp film and things but the play sounds really very good i enjoyed that regency drama so i think i might see if i can get to see it it's well worth chopping along to see i mean dominic cooper is a great actor it's incredibly well staged it's beautifully dressed it is a great play and you really do get a feeling about how relevant these these things are today especially in today's society where we are more free thinking and more accepting of all sorts of things he really did challenge the norms then as well as now it's interesting i took a deeper meaning than i suppose a lot of people would have done but i enjoyed it very much excellent our partners Hawes and curtis are a british brand with more than a hundred years of heritage and tailoring in 1913 ralph Hawes and george frederick curtis opened their first store in london's piccadilly arcade at the corner of german street renowned for its resident shirt makers from the beginning, Hawes and Curtis attracted famous clientele, including the Duke of Windsor, Cary Grant and Fred Astaire, dapper gentlemen all. As a result of Hawes and Curtis's commitment to impeccable service and product excellence, the brand has been awarded four royal warrants. Today, Hawes and Curtis offers extensive menswear and women's wear collections, providing customers with complete looks for a whole variety of occasions. Please head over to their website, www.hawesandcurtis.co.uk. So um, Halloween is almost upon us. We are now Thursday. Halloween will be on Monday, the 31st. Not long now. Do you like Halloween? I do. I love it. You've got dressing up, indulging in sweets and snacks, and silly fun. It's great. I love it. I love it too. I like both bits about it. I like what is now the commercialised, Hollywoodized version of it, with the dressing up and the 
the trick-or-treats and all that sort of stuff. But I also like the reasons behind it. All Hallow's Eve, Halloween, is the eve before All Saints' Day. And traditionally, going back to pagan times, going back to Celtic times, going back all the way through history, there has always been a period or a festival about the fading of the barrier between life and death, the respecting of the past, the dead, the honouring of the dead, and that thinning of the veil between the light and the dark. And that that's really what Halloween is about. And I like that aspect of it. I like the aspect of respecting and honouring those that have passed and honouring those to come, as well as loving dressing up and having fun and trick-or-treating and jack-o'-lanterns and all that sort of thing. I really find it an amazing interesting holiday and you know it's the second biggest holiday in america after christmas i did not know it was that big yeah thanksgiving comes third which is quite surprising as far as money spent on it sure yeah i can see that what's always interesting to me you know i I have a number of friends who are pagans or neo-pagan and they make obviously samhain first of november is a big deal for them for them it's a fun but solemn occasion but one of the things i do enjoy about this is as you mentioned it's that aspect of looking back and thinking about friends you've lost and people who've passed on that kind of thing and doing that in a joyous way i think is rather nice doing that maybe having the party on the halloween and then the day after doing the remembering i think they go together well it is the wiccan pagan new year sawain as you said is the wiccan pagan new year so it is that point of remembrance of the past and and look to the future i always like the fact that uh, jack-o'-lanterns so pumpkins hollowed out for those who don't know and put candles in are actually symbols to guide spirits home yes although it was always turnips when i was a boy because we didn't get pumpkins turnips are an awful lot more hard work to carve and hollow out (laughs) (laughs) i was walking the other day and i walked through an allotment field and i saw a pumpkin patch oh wow i don't think i've ever seen a pumpkin patch in the uk before no i can't remember having seen one then i had this flashback to my youth and I'm a big fan of, of Snoopy and Peanuts and Charlie Brown. Yes. And I just had this flashback to uh, Linus, the character in, in Snoopy and Peanuts, and his great love of the great pumpkin and sitting in pumpkin patches at Halloween waiting for the great pumpkin to arrive. Just always thinks of that. Always reminds me of that. That's great. Yeah, one of the things I'm going to try and do this year is a kind of Portuguese sweet cake. It's a cinnamon sugar cake. Now, I've not made it before, and I know we were talking the other week about sweet treats, but my other half is going, to, is going to make this, apparently. We're going to be having traditional Portuguese roast chestnuts and cinnamon sugar cakes. So I'm quite looking forward to that. I like that. Where I am living at the moment, I, we don't get a lot of trick-or-treaters. Where I used to live, previously we used to get a lot of trick-or-treaters, and I like that. One of the things that's quite nice with that, we don't have it over here in the UK, unfortunately, but it is quite big in the US, Canada, Mexico, and I think also in Ireland. UNICEF has a trick-or-treat campaign as a fundraiser. It started, I believe, in Philadelphia. It was when Mary Allison, who was the preacher's wife, saw UNICEF collecting for powdered milk to send to undernourished children around the world. And she said, well, why don't children get donations for UNICEF instead of asking for sweets and, and candy? So that's what they started. This was in the 1950s. That has grown into this campaign that gets, I think, in Canada last year, it raised more than $100 million. Similar numbers in in US. And it's this great sort of way of fundraising, having fun, and 
I think a lot of the kids will get sweets as well as a few coins. So it's kind of a win-win. In 2005, a lot of it went towards Katrina. You can now do mobile phone text message donations, Facebook, things like that. You get fundraising web pages and things like that. But generally, it's a nice way of getting that trick-or-treating or guising doing something for charity as well. So it'd be nice to see that here. I like it very much. I do appreciate the work that UNICEF does hugely, and I'm a big fan of UNICEF. And it's interesting you say it was the 1950s, because that is kind of when UNICEF really started to leap forward. That's when Danny Kay became the first UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador, and they really did start to make UNICEF well-known during that period of time. It's quite cool. So anything that involves dressing up, sweet treats, fun and good works gets even better. Yeah, it's a gentlemanly holiday. <laughs> Indeed, yes. yes, it's a gentlemanly yes. holiday. I shall insist on that as I'm gorging on my cinnamon cakes. <laughs> exactly, as we, as we traipse round in our costumes. Yes, indeed. Well, sir, wishing you and everyone else out there a happy Halloween. Yes, have a good one. We shall see you afterwards in November, where James will be engorged on cinnamon cakes. I will. And I will probably be trying to figure out how to remove my Zorro costume still. Yes. <laughs> if people are doing things for Halloween, though, I would like to hear about it, if you've done any sweet treats or if you're dressing up or anything else, especially if you're involved with the UNICEF thing. Let us know. Drop us a line. It'd be really nice to hear about. Yeah, lovely. Please do drop us a line. It's enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please share with us. Send us your photos. Tag us in your photos. We would love to hear from you, hear about what you're up to and any suggestions for future podcast ideas or things you want us to look at. Please do let me and James know. We're always happy to hear from you. Well, thank you, James. Indeed. Thank you, Zach. Happy Halloween. Yes, have a splendid time. Take care, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.